We're going to dive into the book of Jonah together, um, which I find to be just this beautiful um, picture of Jesus' pursuit of us, made visible in the story and the life of this rebellious human being, and yet we see the redemptive pursuit of Christ, the redemptive pursuit of the Lord after him. And um, I'm really looking forward to it this morning. We just came off of our kind of summer series called Kingdom Come, where we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and the, the core teachings of Jesus and this initiation of the kingdom of God, walking into the reality that is uh, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and living as kingdom citizens, living as disciples of the way of Jesus. And so um, if you're wondering, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What's it mean to follow the way of Jesus? What does that lifestyle look like, which we talked about last week, that to be a follower of the way of Jesus, is really to orient our life around this reality called the kingdom of God and to follow in that way. Um, But look at the Sermon on the Mount. Spend some time, 5, 6, and 7 of of Matthew, and you'll be able to see a picture of what it looks like to step into this reality. Also, if you're new today, I want to say welcome. Welcome to our community. Uh, My name is Spencer. I'd love to meet you afterwards outside. Um, We also have Connect cards out front, and we'd love to give you a a little treat on us to get a a coffee, a free coffee, a union downtown on us, just to say we love you. We're glad you're here. We value you. We appreciate appreciate you. So welcome if this is your first time. But let's go ahead and jump into the text this morning, Jonah chapter 1. It might take you a little bit of time. Remember, there's no shame in the table of contents. Jonah chapter 1, it is between the Old Testament books of Obadiah and Micah. Go ahead and hop there. If you don't have the scriptures with you in hand, then you can look on the screen or just turn on the app, whatever you got. Uh, it's taking me a second, this new, this new Bible for me, so give me just a moment. Forget it, I'm just going to read off the screen. Shoot. <laughs> you know pastors get mixed up in the scriptures too, it's crazy, you know? Don't, I, I'm not trying to fool anybody, sometimes i got to use a table of come to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. First of all, if you're from these cities, man, can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? Where are you from? Tarshish, bro? The T. You know, like that's really awkward. All right, Joppa. Okay. <laughs> Where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying, that, paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I want to give you a little background of Jonah quickly. Um, Corey, he gave me a great compliment a couple days ago. He said, Spence, I said, I love when you can just give us background context of the books of Scripture that we go through. And I said, well, that's encouraging. I appreciate that. So here's a little background of, the, of, of Jonah and kind of give you a glimpse of what is going on here. First of all, Jonah is a book in the Minor Prophets, the Minor Prophets. Um, and it is unique in that it is primarily a historical text. Most of the books in the Prophets are focused on the words of the prophet, where the book of Jonah is primarily focused on the life of the prophet. That kind of frames a little bit of the the, the literature that we're looking at, this historical book of Jonah. Most of Jonah is written in the third person, as we'll dive in together. Um, Some people tend to focus so much on the big fish that they miss the big point. The point of Jonah is not a big fish whether it's a whale or whatever it is. We don't know, by the way, it doesn't say, text doesn't say whale. It just says big fish. The focus isn't on the big fish. The focus is on this 
as I mentioned earlier, this rebellious human being pursued by a redemptive God. And it's funny because it's actually the only book of the Old Testament that has a theme that points to the resurrection of Jesus. So you'll see throughout the story, it'll be pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. Some people read Jonah and they think that it's a myth or a fairy tale or a fable or allegory or fiction. And I want you to know that it is a historical book. Jonah is referenced in Matthew chapter 12 by Jesus. Jesus is referencing what happened to Jonah as a foreshadowing of his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. It's also referenced in 2 Kings chapter 4. Jonah is referenced in 2 Kings chapter 4 as a prophet and as a religious leader in Israel. So we're dealing with an actual historical book here. It's not, it's not a myth. It's not a fable. It is actual fact. It is truth. Actually, if you go back and look at the historian Josephus, he talks about Jonah quite a bit. The setting here is between 700 and 800 B.C., so 700 to 800 years before Christ Jesus comes to earth. And Jonah was an Israelite from Galilee, same kind of general area, same neighborhood as Jesus. And he has this call on his life by God to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was known as the largest city in the world at the time, and actually the most wicked, inhumane, gruesome, violent, dark city in the world at the time. And the Lord calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Interestingly enough, though, Israel and Nineveh were great enemies. And in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire took captive Israel. So this kind of gives you a picture of what we're looking at here. And Nineveh was located in what is now modern-day northern Iraq, in ancient Mesopotamia. So that gives you a picture of where we're at geographically. Some of you are like, where is Iraq? You know, <laughs> where is that at? That helps me not at all. <laughs> is that beside Winston-Salem? No, it's not. All right. <laughs> uh, these people, though, in Nineveh, they were, they were honestly ruthless people. I mean, they did some things that would make you cringe. I mean, rape, violence, murder, slaughter. They would literally behead their enemies and build statues out of their skulls outside of the gates. They would, they would actually peel off the skin of children and turn it into like uh, actual monument. I mean, just crazy, wicked stuff happening in Nineveh. And now you're like, okay, I understand why Jonah don't want to go. Because for Jonah to go to Nineveh would be like a, a Jewish boy or a Jewish man in 1935 in New York City. And the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to go to Auschwitz and I want you to share a message of repentance to the Nazis. This is, this is framing kind of the, and Jonah's like, not me. No. Mm -mm. And, and I have you know that Jonah was an upstanding guy. Sometimes we look at Jonah as like this, this kind of podunk guy that the Lord comes to and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah was a religious leader in Israel. He had great influence. He was a prophet. He was close to the Lord. And yet in this story, we see his disobedience. We see his disobedience. I saw this quote that kind of frames this whole idea of Jonah this past week from Eugene Cho, it says, God often leads us on journeys we would never go on if it were up to us. Jonah ends up fleeing and going to a port city called Joppa on the Mediterranean and heads for Tarshish, which is in modern day Spain, and at the time was known as truly the end of the earth. It's the farthest point west 
in the ancient world. It was 2,500 miles away from where Jonah was in Joppa. To put it into perspective, that's from here to Los Angeles. I mean, this dude's going a long ways away from home, on boat. So he flees the Lord. And this story is all about Jonah's rebellion and disobedience and how the Lord redeems him and uses him for his purpose as really the first foreign missionary we ever see in the scriptures. Jonah was the very first foreign missionary that we ever see in the scriptures. Skip Heitzig, in a commentary, breaks the four chapters into four main sections. So kind of framing this for you guys. The first chapter is running from God. The second chapter is running to God. Third chapter is running with God. And then we'll see this wild kind of dramatic ending where it's a run in with God. My prayer during this teaching series is that we find ourselves in the story. We find ourselves in the story and we gain a greater revelation of the Lord's redemptive work in our life or the areas in our life that he is providing course correction in so that we may walk in the will and purpose that he has for us. I'm hoping today that we go beyond just your understanding of this old tale that we have heard our whole life about Jonah. That we dive deep into the meaning of the text and what it represents for us and seeing truly what it means for us to be a part of God's redemptive work and to respond to his call on our life to go. Jesus, would you meet us this morning? Show up in a real and mighty way. Speak through me, Lord. Speak to those in this space, God. Transform our hearts. Believe that your word is alive and it's active. It's not just ink on a page. It is transformative. God, help us to be receivers of your word today and to receive your presence and to receive your grace this morning. We love you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take a couple moments this morning to just look at some of the specific things I noticed throughout this week in examining the text here in chapter one. The first thing that I noticed was in verse one, where the Lord told Jonah to go. First thing I noticed, the Lord said, go. It's a big highlighted word for me when I read this. You ever read the text sometimes? Like, whoa, that word just sticks out a little bit more than the rest. For me, I just got stuck on this word go. And I did some research, and did you, did you know that throughout the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, the word go appears 1,427 times. The word stop appears 73 times. 1,427 times we see the word go from Genesis to Revelation, 73 times, barely enough for one a book. We see the word stop. The first thing that I want us to understand and to know as the people of God, as a family, especially as we together seek to, we seek renewal and we seek reconciliation in the city to make disciples of Jesus, to see you know, the kingdom come in Greensboro as it is in heaven, that we serve a God of go. We serve a God of go. Matter of fact, just spell out God and you get go. It's pretty crazy, right? I was literally looking over my notes last night with my wife 
And I was looking at God, and I saw my notes for go, and I'm like, oh, snap, the word go is in God. That's crazy. We serve a God of go. And I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, many of us are missing out on what God has for us by not obeying what the Lord is asking of us. We're actually missing out. Not only are we being disobedient to the go, but we're missing out on an adventure. We're missing out on opportunity. We're missing out on fulfillment. We're missing out on purpose. We're missing out on the go. So often in our journey with Jesus, we get caught up on what we can't do and miss out on what God is asking us to do. Much of our spiritual life is about refrain when it's actually more about submission. And if you break that up, submission, it means that we have a mission that we are part of. It's God's mission, and we are underneath him serving him. That puts us in a posture of submission. Submission and refrain are two different things. And for a lot of us, we look at what we can't do and forget that a majority of our spiritual life is what God is asking us to do. When we look at the scriptures, maybe we get confused sometimes and we think that a lot of the scriptures talk about stepping away from something or stepping back or says we can't or puts a box around us when in reality, majority of the scriptures isn't stepping away from something, it's stepping into something. But for a lot of us, we can't step into unless we step away. But the theme of our life as followers of the way of Jesus is not to step away from something, but to step into what God is doing in the world around us. Oftentimes, our prayers are, Lord, come be a part of what I'm doing. Lord, come be a part of what I got going on in my life. When the Lord is like, I want you to come be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to jump in the stream that is flowing through this this world called the kingdom of God, the reality of the kingdom of God. We, We saw in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 consistently the word enter, 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 because the way of Jesus isn't stepping away from something in this kind of passive refrain posture. It is stepping into possibility. It's stepping into adventure. It's stepping into opportunity. It is stepping into the go. 1,427 times the word go appears in the scriptures. Only 73 times do we see the word stop. If we honestly just live a life that is bent towards the go, I think we would see some crazy things happen in our life. But for most of us, we're bent towards the stop. Or we're, built, or we're bent towards the can't. Or we're, we're bent towards the no. And God is saying, I want to use you. I want you to go. I want you to go. Here's a a great quote from one of my favorite authors. His name is Erwin McManus. Says, Jesus beckons his followers to a path that's far from the easy road. It's a path filled with adventure, uncertainty, and unlimited possibilities. The only path that can fulfill the deepest longings and desires of your heart. This is the barbarian way to give your heart to the only one who can make you fully alive. To unleash the untamed faith within, to be consumed by the presence of a passionate and compassionate God. To go where he sends, no matter 
the cost. I want you, friends and family, if there's anything I want for you, is to step into the adventure that is following the way of Jesus. Stepping into the go. Not just stepping away from something, but stepping into a new reality. And that is the kingdom of God because of the incarnation of Jesus. Stepping into the story. The author steps into the story and invites us to step into this new reality called the kingdom of God. That is good news, friends and family. That is the good news of the gospel. That he has invited you to be a part of this story. He's invited you to actually be a part of what he's doing in the world. The second thing I noticed... Verse 3 says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. Some translations say that he ran away from the presence of the Lord. And that word presence in the Hebrew actually has to do with the face. The face. Jonah runs away from the face of the Lord, or he attempts to. Any, any of you as a kid try to run away? Is that part of your story, your testimony, right? None of you? I mean, I definitely did. Hello. I did. I had it pretty good as a kid. You know, you're like seven years old, fed up with life. Like, I'm done wearing a seatbelt. I'm doing what I want. My third grade teacher got the off-brand goldfish. I'm not going back. Y'all know whales? You ever had whales? Yeah, yeah like those are terrible, right? It's like you eat it, you're just like halfway satisfied, you know, there's an emptiness. It's a lot like our spiritual journey for lots like sin, you know, it's, eh, it's good, but it's something missing, you know, hello, that'll preach. You're like, but mom, I want to stay up longer. No, you got to go to bed. Mom, the sun's still up. You know, you're fed up with life. Seven years old. I was asking Jordan last night, I said, Jordan, I said, have you ever tried to run away? She said, yeah, I have. I said, well, me, me too. We talked about our stories, you know, running away as kids. And what I've come to find out is that 95% of kids who run away end up just on the other side of the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you start down the driveway, and you start realizing, oh, I just don't know about this. <laughs> you find yourself on the back side of the house sitting down, just waiting for mom and dad. Although my brother is a kid growing up, he literally started taking off down the road. I mean, that boy was gone. Like, honestly, I didn't think he was coming back. I grew up in a family, too, where I said, I'm going to run away. My dad's like, all right, let me help you pack. <laughs> you're going to realize quickly what you're missing out on. Jonah is a grown man. And he's trying to run away. He's trying to run away in this passage. But what I think is so interesting is he didn't run from Nineveh. He ran from the Lord. Not only that, but he ran away from the face of the Lord. The Lord called him to something and he runs away. You ever been in a conversation with someone who you know is like there's something up and they, they can't make eye contact with you? Right? Like you're speaking truth in their life and they're just kind of like avoiding reality. My dog's the worst at this. When Coda's messed something up, we'll pull him to the side and look at him in his eyes and that, that mug is just... I mean, it's like he can feel the Holy Spirit, like, just pushing him back, you know? We're praying he gets saved soon. But Jonah has a moment right here with God where in his heart he says no, and he can't look the Lord in the eyes. He runs from, runs from the Lord. Now, we know that the, the, the presence of the Lord is omnipresent, so it's all around us. He tries his best to get away from the Lord. Spiritual life, we aren't. See, here's the thing, guys. 
when we run away in our spiritual life, we aren't just running from the obedience. We are running from intimacy. We are running from closeness with the creator of the world. We are running from fullness. We are running from being loved and from loving. We're not just running away from a task. We are running away from a relationship and from intimacy. But the beautiful thing about our redemptive God is so different than all the religions in the world is that he comes after us. He comes after us. I love this quote. Let this sink in from Steve Deneff. He says, if obedience were the measure of love, do you love him? John 14, 15, Jesus is talking a lot about, if you love me, you will keep my commands, which Jordan uses a lot in our marriage. It's kind of crazy. If you love me, keep my command, you know. <laughs> Jesus asked his disciples, if you, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If obedience is the measure of our love for the Lord, do you love him? Because I'll tell you that he loves you. Enough so that he took a brutal beating on a cross. One of the worst types of deaths in the history of the world. If obedience is the measure of love, do you love him? I don't know if you journal or not, but that's a good question to journal. To process internally with yourself. Do you love him? The problem, though, with running from the Lord is that he is already in the place you are running to. (laughs) The problem with trying to run from the Lord is that he's always in the place that you're trying to run to. Psalm 139 speaks to that very clearly where the psalmist is talking about in the heavens, you are there. In the depths, you are there. Where can I run from your presence? Where can I run from your presence? And honestly, family, if today you're running from the Lord, where are you running to? Honestly, where, where are you running to? You cannot outrun the presence of the Lord. You might can run from a place, family, but you can't run from presence. You can't run from the presence of the Lord. I think about the prodigal son. He encounters something in the midst of a pigsty. The Lord is there. The Lord turns his heart and has him run home. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey today, honestly, you may, came, you may have come here, you have a lot of frustration because we're broken at God or you're mad at the church, or you're mad at Christians because Lord knows, huh, Christian people, crazy, right? Because we're broken individuals, we need Jesus. All of us need Jesus. The definition of hypocrisy is just denying reality. Reality is I need a redemptive savior in my life to make me new so that I look more and more like him and I can be used as a change agent in this world. He wants to use you, and you cannot run from the Lord. Wherever you are today, family, he is in the midst of it all. His presence is there. I mentioned earlier that Jonah was an upstanding guy. Dude had a great resume. He was a prophet, religious leader. We see that in 2 Kings 14. He was a well-known individual in Israel. It wasn't like that he had a stumbling, fumbling kind of life. He was close to the Lord. He was tight with the Lord. He would be like the pastor of Israel. And guess what? It doesn't matter how close you are to the Lord. Listen, the furthest place that you can be from the Lord is that when you are close to the Lord and you say no. 
It's one of the furthest places you can be is when you are close to the Lord and you say no. The definition of rebellion is to say no to the Lord. That is what rebellion is. If there's any area of your life that says no to the Lord, that is the definition of rebellion. It's you saying my way is better than your way. And obedience, my friends and family, is complimenting God when things are unclear. Obedience is you complimenting God when things are unclear. God has called all of us to obedience, not just so that we can get a, you know, a check on our list that's called the spiritual life. It's so that we can step into fullness, to step into human flourishing, to step into the newness that God has for us. C.S. Lewis talks about that once the, the, the resurrection happens, time goes backwards, and our goal is to get back to the way things were intended to be in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Human flourishing, culture making, creating, loving one another, being with the Lord. But for a lot of us, we are trying to run from the Lord, and we're never further from the Lord than when we are close and say no. Notice that Jonah found a ship bound for a port. Like dude just shows up and the ship is ready to go where he wants to go. I think it's so interesting that oftentimes the enemy will provide a masked sense of peace to mask our disobedience. Provided that for me. Easily say, well, the Lord put that there. That's called providential grace. The Lord provided that for me. I have a peace of mind. Was it not the serpent in the garden that provided a peace to Adam and Eve? Don't you want to eat? Come on, he didn't say that. Sometimes the Lord will try to give us a sense of peace to mask our disobedience. If your peace of mind comes in contradiction to the truth of the scriptures, it will only lead to mass chaos and confusion, ultimately to a path of destruction. Just because you have a peace of mind doesn't mean it is the way of the Lord. It has to fall in line with the scriptures. And oftentimes the, Lord, the, the enemy wants to numb our hearts and our minds and wants us to think that a peace of mind falls in line with what the Lord is asking of us when oftentimes it's just going to mask our disobedience. Well, I feel okay about it, but it contradicts the scriptures. Yeah, I feel okay about it. Yeah, but it's sin. It's not, like, it's not the fullness of what God has for you. Think about that in our own life. Examples of times where, well, I feel all right about it. I don't have no conviction. Well, if the scriptures say otherwise, I don't care what you feel. There's truth in the scriptures. I was thinking about this earlier, that if we were driving down the highway and there was no marked lanes or or boundaries of driving, oh, my heavens, it'd be worse than it already is on Wendover. You know what I mean? The Lord provides... Not, not boundaries just so he can kind of keep us all, you know, in this tight box, but so we can actually experience flourishing. So we can go from place to place. So we can go. We can move. Peace of mind that contradicts the truth of the scriptures is destined for chaos. And if you want to run from the Lord, friends and family, there will always be a ship ready to sail. You want to run from the Lord? You want to run for what he has for you? There's always going to be a ship with the enemy standing at the, at the front of it saying, hop on board. Come on. Always. Don't just think because there's a ship ready to, to sail that that's going to, to, to disregard the disobedience of Jonah. 
15 and unpack what happened in reading the text. Now let's go ahead and read verses 4 through 13 and unpack what happens next here in this story. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Understand, this is about like a hurricane. That's kind of what the original text is alluding to, a hurricane. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Jonah's knocked out in the midst of a storm. A lot of us in our life experience chaos, but we don't know it because we're asleep. Stay woke, my friends. Okay. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. These guys are having a prayer service on, to, on the top of the ship, and Jonah's knocked out, croaked asleep in the bottom of the ship. Something's going on. Knocked out asleep. They're like, how can you sleep? How can you experience this? Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They have such a great vocabulary. I love the sailors here. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Whoops! It's amazing. So they asked him. You know he's freaking out at this point, right? Beat red. Crazy, unless he's still croaked to sleep. We don't know. Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Jonah's like, you better get that bass out your voice. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's probably bucking up a little bit. What do you mean? Ask him, what work do I do? What does that matter? You know, like, why are you asking so many questions? You ever come across somebody and you got stuff in your life? They start asking questions. You're like, why are you asking so many questions? Do you know something? Well, I mean, your body language speaks to it, my friend. You know what I mean? Like, something's going on. Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Questions and questions and questions. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, scared to death. And they asked, well, what have you done? For real, John, what, I don't even worship your God, but what have you done? I heard a story one time of a pastor, no joke, this is hilarious. Pastor was doing some canvassing in a neighborhood, goes up to this house, knocks on the door, asks if he could pray for a woman. She says, actually, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't do the whole Christian thing. He says, that's okay. I still want to pray for you. She, he's like, I, I just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't have to deal with that. Well, that's okay. She's like, well, you can pray. You can pray if you want, but I just, I don't believe. He's like, okay, Lord God, I just pray right now in this moment you would strike doing. And she'd just be struck dead right now in Jesus. Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? And in that moment, he says, see, you do believe. Y'all like, I would never go to his church. <laughs> Woo. But that's the, re I mean, that's what we're dealing with here. They're like, I don't even pray to your God. What have you done, man? This is wild. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? What a question. He's like, I mean, keep me here, dude. I'm trying to get away. All right. Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And we see here that eventually Jonah is going to be tossed overboard. 
But one thing that I noticed here that was so profound to me in this specific section is that our disobedience always impacts those around us. Disobedience is never isolated to one person. It's never isolated to affecting one person. Disobedience always affects multiple people. Always affects more than just you. Our obedience, our obedience to Jesus and our journey with him deeply affects those around us. Even for the things that that we have decided not to do that the Lord has asked us to do. That's called the sins of omission. We are omitting what God has asked us to do. And it affects those around us. Friends and family, our relationship with Jesus, our lifestyle as followers of the way of Jesus is one of the greatest gifts for those who are in relationship with us. And we can either steer someone's ship in the opposite direction or we can show them light and life and the good news that is the gospel of Jesus. Our life, our testimony, our story, the redemptive work of Christ, our obedience, our disobedience deeply affects those who are around us. Don't ever think that your disobedience is just you and the Lord. It always affects those around you. Maybe a friend, maybe a parent, co-worker, spouse, whoever it may be. It will affect them. I love this quote from Gail. It's to be shared as your testimony is not just for you. It's not meant to be hoarded. It's to be shared, to breathe life into those around us. Your testimony simply is your life, your story, your experience. I'm really excited because tonight we start what's called Basics, this three-week introduction to United City. And one of the things that we want to do is be able to share stories with one another. What is your story? I love when you ask somebody their story, especially as a pastor. I'll go to lunch with someone. Hey, man, what's your story? Well, I grew up in church, you know. As a kid, I was always at church. You know, it's, the, it's the first thing people go to, right? Especially in the South. You know, I grew up in church, you know, and I'm like, no, like really, what's your, like, I want to know your story. Tell me the, the, the depths of your story. I love that in airplanes, one of the things that they tell you to do, if there's ever crazy amounts of cabin pressure, when the oxygen mask drops, what do they tell you to do? They say that you need to secure the mask on yourself first before you try to help someone else. You and I are no good to those around us if we are spiritually passed out. A lot of us are attempting to help others. We're trying to show people the way, but what we're really doing is pointing on a map and not actually walking with them. We are no good if we are spiritually passed out. We have to take the oxygen mask on ourselves first and begin to help those around us. And for those of us who are continually walking in disobedience, we are spiritually passed out. We're in the bottom of a ship, knocked out of sleep, and there's a storm that's around us that we aren't even aware of. It takes a friend or someone around us to say, hey, what's going on? And do you notice that these sailors are non-believers? They're not even Israelites. And they come to Jonah and point out his sin. You ever had a friend of yours who's not even a follower of Jesus? They look at you're like, bro, what is wrong with you? A non-believer calling you out in your sin. Hello. Like, bro, I thought you followed Jesus. You don't, you don't really act like Jesus. 
You kind of act like me, and I was thinking you were different. It's crazy to me. We also see this progression in chapter 1 using this kind of word of word down, where Jonah goes down to Joppa. He then goes down into the bottom of the ship, and eventually he's going to go down into the belly of a fish. This imagery of disobedience for Jonah is a journey downward. Friends, disobedience and sin is much like you being out in the ocean. You start at one point, but because of the current, it pushes you you're not where you were lying, to where you look up and see a building you don't recognize, and all of a sudden you're not where you once were. You have drifted off. And Jonah here is experiencing that drift, quite literally. We have to be aware of where we are in our life. We have to have self-awareness. I'm excited that this fall we will be looking at a teaching series, diving into emotionally healthy spirituality, looking at our emotions and our feelings and how they equate to spiritual maturity. I'm excited for that because it's all about self-awareness. Where are we at truly? I'm not asking you, what are you doing? I'm asking you, who are you becoming? Jonah here is experiencing course correction from the Lord. Some of us look at this and go, man, the Lord is so mean. Like, what? actually the Lord is saving Jonah. It has everything to do with our perspective and our paradigm and looking at the scriptures here. He is saving Jonah. Jonah having to provide course correction. If we're honest, some of us are on a ship sailing towards Tarshish and we need course correction and it might hurt just a bit, but in the long run, it will save us and give us life. Sometimes we need course correction. Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil says, maybe this is actually a story about how God allows us to discover something that is inside ourselves that is compromising our discipleship. The Lord saw something in Jonah before he disobeyed and noticed there was something compromising his full discipleship to the Lord. And he provides an opportunity for, the, for Jonah to have to wrestle with that. And guess what Jonah does? He disobeys. The Lord calls him to do something dangerous, which, by the way, can I help you understand that being in the center of the will of God is one of the most dangerous places that you can be? Some of you are like, oh, man, there's a lot of comfort in the will of God. No, there's not. <laughs> Not not at all. No comfort in the will of God whatsoever. There's protection, but there's not comfort. There's promise, but there's not comfort. There's opportunity, fulfillment, but not comfort. And Jonah has found himself in the center of the will of God. And he's like, ooh, this is a little bit scary. And he's having to wrestle with something on the inside. See, Jonah here doesn't realize that he thought he was supposed to go and and see the Ninevites changed, which they ultimately will be. We'll see in the story. But really, God is trying to change Jonah. For a lot of you, you're looking at your friends and the folks around you, and you're like, I want to go change them. I want to change the world. And the Lord's like, I want to change you first. A lot of us are in love with the idea of changing the world, but we're not in love with the Lord changing us. I mean, you can say amen. That's totally cool with me, right? Oh, amen. Yeah. Amen to that. No. The Lord will provide prosperity and pro. Amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, right? The center of the will of God is dangerous. No amens in the house of God. Read through the scriptures and you see very clearly. So I have a couple questions for you as we close. 
The first question is this. What is the thing that the Lord has asked of you that you have ran from and are running from? Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's a task. Maybe it's something having to do with your strengths and your, your, your talents and abilities, your gifts. You're running from it. What is that thing? Write it down. Ask yourself that question. Take a note. I mean, you, you, if you have a phone, even take a note in your phone. What is the thing or the person or the place or the opportunity that the Lord has asked me to participate in and I'm running from it? Or what is the opportunity you're running from out of fear? Because if we're honest, if the Lord came to you and said something like, I want you to move overseas into a third world country where Christians are being persecuted and being killed for their faith. I want you to go. You'd be like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. Me? Not me. Maybe it's a family member who the Lord's been speaking to you about. He wants you to cross the living room when you're together next time and be able to sit down and say, listen, I really want to let you know that the Lord loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Or maybe it's an idea that you have in your mind and the Lord wants you to use that idea or that creativity or that vision to propel his kingdom. Prime example is Daniel. About a year ago, Daniel and I were meeting, actually reading that book, The Barbarian Way, I mentioned earlier by Erwin McManus. And Daniel's reading this book like, oh my word, this is crazy. Like this is, this is stepping into whole new territory. So, you know, one day, you know, being the dreamer that I am, I'm like, hey man, what do you think about like opening up a coffee shop? He's like, whoa, that, I mean, that'd be cool. That'd, be, that'd actually be awesome. We continue on the journey. <laughs> Comes to a point where Daniel has to make a decision, which by the way, Daniel gets a promotion in the midst of this processing. Peace of mind, disobedience from the Lord. Daniel gets a promotion. He has opportunity on hand, decisions to make. And in the flesh, he'd be like, oh, I'm getting that promotion. Yes, Lord, thank you, direct deposit. Y'all know what I mean? Thank you for direct deposit, Jesus' name. And, and Daniel prays through it, processes through it. I mean, Abigail both pray about it, process through it. And he feels his pull and his tug. I need to step out into the, to the depths. I need, I need to respond. This is what I'm supposed to do. And it's not easy. It's hard. It puts strife and challenge on us in the flesh, but in the spiritual, in the spirit, you start to thrive and you come alive. Last week, we talked about the narrow way leads to life. Life isn't just on the other side. Life with Christ starts right now, but it starts by going to the cross first. I want you all to experience life and life abundantly. Let's pray together this morning.